Well, good morning and welcome in the name of Jesus Christ, who is our peace. And uh, it is the tradition of the church to pass the peace, which is uh, a way for us to hold out in community for the, his vision, uh, for a world that's coming together when it sometimes feel like, feels like it is coming apart, for lives and families and health and situations uh, coming together, not just the absence of conflict, but a vision for Christ making us fully alive. So we pass the peace with that vision. It's sort of a way to say, hey, uh, I'm glad you're here on Sunday morning, but it is also a way to connect to that greater vision. So would you stand and pass the peace of Christ to one another this morning and greet them in his name? Thank you very much, and um, you can have a seat. It is good to be with you. We are in a series of sermons. It's a little bit different, and especially today, we're going to go on a sightseeing tour of the places where Jesus walked, and um, it is a way for us to think about uh, his story, but also ours, and today I'm especially excited about the location as we are going to be looking at several places around the Sea of Galilee area, which a group of us traveled to on our trip. We first went to Bethlehem and then here. Uh, and so we traveled here during the day on October 6th. And um, uh, we're, we're in the places where Jesus walked, and in specifically in the, this area where he taught, where he began his ministry. It's not super far from Nazareth, where he is from. But Nazareth is sort of, at, in the time of Jesus, a backwoods place. Uh, so uh, it was said of, uh, of Jesus, could anything good come out of Nazareth? But Jesus did, and he came to the Sea of Galilee area, which is a crossroads of the world. Uh, and uh, that helps us understand Jesus' ministry. It helps us understand several stories in the Bible. We're going to roll through some of those today. And uh, it will help us uh, understand, I think, our own lives as well. Uh, so you're going to see lots of places, and uh, this is, somebody said, I like the picture book version of the sermon these days. So uh, that, that, there's a little bit of that. So you're going to see, I, what I hope you uh, do is, is see these places and have a connection to them and some of the realities of the life of Jesus that, that just keep intersecting with the realities of our world, which you will see as we go along. So we traveled on October 6th to Tiberias, and this picture is uh, from uh, our hotel over the Sea of Galilee. It is a resort town. Uh, it is sort of outside of uh, the parameters of, parameters of our series because we don't have any record that Jesus actually went here. It was a Roman city, and it was built around the time of Jesus, during the lifetime of Jesus, over a Jewish cemetery. And so there was some conflict during that time. It was not a place that Jewish folks tended to go, uh, but eventually became a center of Jewish learning, so and it is very much a, a, a Jewish town now. We were there traveling to be there at the start of Sabbath. So in that hotel, uh, there, there's a, a bunch of people who've come to the resort to have their Sabbath, Shabbat, and to be with family, to rest, and to eat, and to celebrate. So the buffet was amazing. And um, so the uh, hotel there and, and that beautiful picture that I took uh, was from our balcony. Actually, um, sort of one of the funny dynamics, uh, I, I guess as a trip leader, 
you sometimes get special treatment. I did not know this when I signed up. I would have signed up sooner because um, there were some things. I had bus captain on my name tag. And so when you walk into a place, it's like, oh, the bus captain, meaning you brought all these people here. We're going to make sure you are happy so that you will come back. And so at this hotel in Tiberias, we uh, got our, our room number and we couldn't find the room. We couldn't find it in the elevator. And they said, oh, you have to take that particular elevator to go up to the penthouse. And it is the, the royal penthouse suite. I have never stayed in the royal penthouse suite, and, but it gave me that view to have that beautiful picture. And then this next view at night, which was also beautiful. And Tiberias is a town on this, the, the western side of the Sea of Galilee, about halfway up, which is in the northern part of the country. And, um, and then there are several little towns around. So we, so we think about the places that we hear in this, the, the, the stories of Jesus, Capernaum and Magdala or other, uh, other towns where he would go across the, 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 the lake. It's all sort of like Smith's Grove and Auburn and Bowling Green. It's just, it's, it, it may be even closer, uh, a real walkable kind of area. And again, there'd be towns that are sort of more Jewish or towns that are more Greek and, and they're just all kind of mixed up there together. And there's a, a, a major highway that goes through. So it was a cosmopolitan place uh, and, a, and a really a place where the worlds uh, collided. So Jesus, again, comes from a backwards kind of place to the center of the, of, of the area where you could have influence over the whole world. And this is where he called the disciples on this lakeshore and where he taught and healed and where his, his actual ministry was. So as we arrived, it was the first time I felt like I could envision Jesus actually being here. Uh, this third picture is from our penthouse suite the next morning on Saturday morning of the sunrise over the Sea of Galilee and over that, uh, those group of hills, which are the Golan Heights, you may recognize as what Palestinians would consider occupied territory. So even in the geography, you see the dynamics that there's a lot going on here. Uh, and uh, in this peaceful, beautiful picture, also some of the realities that are underneath the surface. The Sea of Galilee is about four times the size of Barren River Lake. I looked for a point of reference. So um, not a huge, huge uh, body of water. They call it a sea, but really it's a freshwater lake. And um, uh, there are fish in there that are a kind of tilapia. So if you like tilapia, yum. Uh, that, that, that day at lunchtime, we had, uh, we had uh, lunch at a, a place that served fish. They brought out the fish. They were sort of breaded, lightly fried with their head on, all the bones. And we, everybody got a fish unless you ordered chicken, which seemed like, you know, kind of maybe not so fun. And so we ate our fish, and at the end of that meal, uh, our guide came. I have bus captain on, right? And she hands me another fish, and I said, I've already eaten one. I've already picked one bones, set of bones uh, clean. And she said, no, you need to eat this one. It's better. And as they had told us about this place, uh, they had kept saying, these are like the fish that are in the sea. But they never said, these are fish from the Sea of Galilee. They never said that. And so she leaned into me as she handed me another fish, and she goes, eat this one. It's actually from the lake. So uh, it was, I was the only one that got one directly that had been caught out of the sea. Uh, so I tried to share that with other people, but you can only share so much fish. It was very good. Uh, it was very good. And so people still fish there. It is a freshwater lake. Uh, it is 13 miles long and seven and a half miles wide and about 140 feet deep at its deepest spot. So it's, it's, it's deep. 
And uh, this is taken on Saturday morning, October 7th at sunrise. So I went back and I looked at the timestamp. And that picture was taken about 15 minutes before war broke out in the, in the country. So we didn't know that at that point, and so traveled around and began our day. The next place we went to after breakfast was the Mount of Beatitudes. And this picture shows, again, a very beautiful spot. You see palm trees and imagine green parrots flying around and squawking. Uh, This is the place, the traditional place, where Jesus stood and gave the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, And the the, uh, beginning of that Sermon on the Mount in Matthew's Gospel is the Beatitudes. And so this is called the Mount of Beatitudes. And you see the picture. Next one is of our group sitting there. Uh, And you can see the lake again in the background. It makes sense that this uh, could be where Jesus spoke because of the natural acoustics in the place. I have to have a microphone, but that wasn't available. So the next best thing is to stand at the lake shore and the acoustics would take, uh, take the sound up. And uh, so one thing that I had not realized was just how close the the Mount of Beatitudes was to the lake. There's a church there, and um, it's just sort of a beautiful place. And you see um, in in that, uh, even in the church, a view of the lake. And if you look, the next picture is a view back down. I love this picture because it shows you some things. It shows you a boat similar to the one that we would get in later that day. And then you see the lake. Over here on the right, you see those buildings. That's Tiberias, so it's not very far away. And you see the the left side of the property on this side of the fence is the the church and and area of the Mount of Beatitudes. Uh, The other side is, uh, is somebody's field. So you have this, like, this holy spot. This is where Jesus walked. And also next door, they're growing bananas. That's just somebody's everyday life happening right there. And then I think there's one more picture closer uh, down to the lake of, of, that, uh, of that boat. And um, so you kind of get the dynamics of the acoustics coming up there because you could hear music on that boat. You could hear people talking. Uh, you couldn't really, I mean, I, the words were probably in Arabic or something like that, but you could definitely dance to the music if you wanted to. You could hear it. So we stood on that spot, and um, as our guide stopped, uh, sort, sort of got on explaining stuff, she asked uh, us to read from Matthew's gospel. And so one of our team members, one of our group, uh, read those words, blessed are the peacemakers. And as we walked out of that spot, my, the guide pulled me aside and said, uh, there's been violence in the south of the country, and we're going to watch that. That was the first indicator of what was going on in the country. And so again, these dynamics kind of back and forth with, um, with this p- peaceful, beautiful place. And then the realities of what Jesus came to walk into literally that were never far away. The next place we went to is, is one of the, the places where Jesus ministered, Capernaum. Again, not super far away. And um, a couple things happened here. You see the lake in the background of this church in Capernaum. Uh, a couple things, stories we think of it here. One is where uh, some friends bring their friend on a mat who's unable to walk to Jesus while he's teaching so that he could be healed. And they can't get to Jesus because of the crowd. So what do they do? They open up the roof thatch and they lower their friend down in front of Jesus and he heals them. And then he has conflict because uh, of the, the Jewish leaders there. 
Another story that happens there in Capernaum, Jesus is called the disciples from that lakeshore, and uh, one of them is Peter. And so they go to Peter's mother-in-law's house, and that church is built on top of her house. So there's like a ruin underneath, and you can look through the glass and see it. And then this beautiful church on top. And the story there, again, they go to Peter mother's, Peter's mother-in-law's house, and she has a fever. So Jesus heals her. And then the scripture says, and then she served them, which it sounds like such a mother-in-law story, right? Like she has this miraculous healing from Jesus, and then they put her to work uh, to, to serve everybody. But the church is built on top of that spot, uh, and there's uh, a lot of art in these kinds of places. So you have in, in the natural reality of the place and the actual location, but then the beauty of, of different things, including art. And the next picture is of a wood relief. Uh, there's several of these kinds of stories around the church. And this is the one from when Jesus uh, said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. So we envision all of these stories uh, of the life of Jesus actually happening in these kinds of places. Let's go back to the lake shore. This picture is of Jenny in front of the, of the spot. And you can, this is kind of the place where Jesus would have been standing to, to maybe call out to the disciples somewhere, somewhere close to here, inviting them, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men because they're out there like in that boat uh, fishing. Or uh, this particular story and this particular spot that uh, is traditionally thought of where Jesus goes to Peter, who's been out fishing all night in one of those boats and hasn't caught a single thing. And so he um, calls out to Peter and says, throw your net on the other side of the boat. And Jesus, uh, G Jesus is saying that. And Peter thinks, um, okay, Jesus, I'm the fisherman here. It seems like I would know, but since you say so, I will. And he does. And it is, a, is a, a, one of many stories that you'll hear about today that is about faith. As, as Martha had a saying, that the, the simple act of believing changes the equation. Peter didn't really believe it because of the fishing reality, but because of Jesus, and he casts his net on the other side. And the net is so full of fish that they are almost unable to bring it in. It almost tears up the net, and when they bring it in, it's 153 fish. So uh, we wonder, wonder why. When the Bible gives us a number, is there a reason? And so one school of thought is that in that story with 153 fish, it's just a story about fishermen. They caught a bunch of fish. They were this big. 150. You would, if you've ever been fishing and you caught a lot of fish, you would remember the number. But it could have more spiritual significance than that. The thought is also that that number, 153, is the number of towns in the area, in the region. And so here again, Jesus casts a broad net. This is not just Jew, not just Gentile. Those dynamics of this being for all people that we hear out throughout the whole New Testament are woven into literally the dynamics of Jesus's ministry because of where he did his ministry, where he started, where he chose to go, which was here, a crossroads of all kinds of different people. This would be a ministry for all people. And we took this picture with Jenny, my wife, in front of the, 
the lake there because uh, she was telling that story of Peter casting his net on the other side of the boat in our sanctuary uh, this this year and was uh, reenacting the story for our preschoolers uh, during the week. And we had a a cardboard boat. And uh, as she was doing that, she was getting out of the boat or getting into it one way or the other, uh, tripped over the cardboard and fell, almost hit her head on a pew and instead caught herself and broke her arm. So we thought it'd be real cute to take a picture of her here where that story actually happened. One of the surprises of the trip was the next place called Magdala. We, we know of a character from the, the Gospels, uh, Mary Magdalene, Mary from Magdala, uh, who it was, lived here. And this is, if you kind of go the other way on this side of the picture, maybe 200 yards is the lake. But then you see on the other side of the road, there's, there's hills. And this gives us a little bit of a picture, you'll see in, more in a moment, of just how much difference there is in the geography very quickly in this area. And then Magdala being a place not super far away from any Capernaum or Tiberias, but being a, a city with um, a sort of cosmopolitan feel uh, with a strong market. And that's what this is. This is the ruins of the market there. And it's taken from um, the footsteps of the synagogue. So, you know, the religious, and this is the synagogue, uh, with the tile floor that they've excavated. And um, it is hard to imagine that Jesus literally did not stand. He would have stood on those, those tiles as he taught in the synagogue. And as he had people like Mary Magdala who were supportive of his ministry and, and, and in the d- dynamics there. Uh, Magdala was uncovered in 2009. Some a Catholic group bought the place. Didn't know all this was there until 2009. So, like, there's still stuff we're learning and seeing uh, as as we as we keep going. And um, so, they were going to build a retreat center there. They dug down 18 inches below the the surface. They hit a rock, a, a stone, a cornerstone, uh, uh, or a wall stone of the the synagogue. So they call that the Magdala stone. And then they sort of, it messed up their whole plan, and they instead have begun to excavate all this. The next picture shows up the hill a little bit, ritual baths, so they were able to kind of pipe the water in from the sea uh, using gravity, and then have these pools where people could, uh, could do a ritual bath in the Jewish tradition, which gives us a little bit of a picture of our foundations of baptism, which was, so it was such a part of their culture that they had a tank, we have a tank, um, uh, and so that's, that's pretty cool. Uh, so instead of building the, the retreat center there, they built it uh, a little bit closer to the sea, and then they built a church even closer to the water. And this next picture shows that church. Uh, the name of the church is, uh, in Latin, means cast out into the deep. Uh, and so that story of Jesus telling uh, Peter to cast out the net. And that boat-looking thing is the altar. So the sea is the background, the beautiful view behind it, and then um, the altar and the the priest. We didn't actually get to go in because there was a priest conducting mass while we were there. And it was here in our tour that day on October 7th that you all started waking up. So we were eight hours ahead of you. You all started waking up. And so I was standing about here, and after I took that picture, I started getting texts from people all of a sudden hey, are you okay? Are you okay? And so then it was like, okay, now's the time to let people know what's going on. So I sent a text to, we, like, we texted our son, we texted some of you, some friends, so that you could uh, know that we were safe as we started to figure out uh, what we were doing there. And it is another place where the stories sort of intersected. 
And um, so this church, and, and in the place I'm standing there, a lot of that is dedicated to the women of the Bible or the women of, of the stories of the gospel that supported Jesus. And, and then there are chapels around. And so there are pictures, and one of those, the next picture is uh, one of those chapels that depicts uh, Magdala. That's what we imagined it to look like. By the way, here on the left, I, d- I didn't say this earlier, but in the market, there are also pools where they piped in water so that they could have fish, fresh fish in the market, which is just just kind of cool. It's like you think of lobsters in the tank at Red Lobster or Kroger used to be or whatever. So, uh, and then uh, this next one, which is in the lower level of this church. And that mural would pr- basically go all the way across the front of the Mac here. It's so, so big. And it is uh, capturing a, a moment in a story of one of the miracles of Jesus. The woman who had suffered for ble- from bleeding for 12 years and then came to Jesus for healing, thinking that if she just touched the hem of his robe, she would be healed. Another story where a little bit of faith transforms the story. And so uh, this is a whole chapel where people can go and pray for God's healing in a situation. And uh, in this, you can kind of tell the, it's intended, the murals and intended to capture the moment when the healing begins and the tip of her finger is young. And, and, and so it's just trying to envision the healing going up through her whole body. Um, okay, so just a, a few minutes away, 10 minutes away, is the next place, next place, which is called the Valley of the Wind. And it looks like I have just taken you to the south uh, or west of our country here in the United States. Just It's, it's within view almost of, of the lake. Uh, you have this huge mountain peak on the right. I took this picture, and I think I should enter into a contest because the sun was just right, and it was really cool, and my iPhone did awesome things. But the next picture is to the left, and you have these huge cliffs. Um, and this is where the people from, from Magdala fled to uh, when it was attacked. Uh, and they thought they could sort of maybe block the road and throw some, some of the pillars in the road and make the uh, Romans think around 70-ish uh, uh, that they, they had deserted the town long ago. Uh, but it didn't happen. And so the people of Magdala were killed here in those cliffs. And then their town was left in ruins and, uh, and lost until 2009. Uh, and this next picture shows the valley part. So this is uh, the two sides together forms this huge valley. And this place is significant because it's called the Valley of the Wind in that if the wind comes through just right, the storm comes through just right, it will channel all of that wind down the valley. And uh, so we know some stories in, in the Bible about the Sea of Galilee itself as being calm, but then sometimes it's not, right? And that's because if the storm comes right down that valley, it focuses all of the energy of the storm onto the lake. And in a short amount of time, just in the matter of time it takes for a storm to come up, it can go from dead calm to turbulent. So we were talking about that dynamic when we were in Tiberias. One of our our group leaders said, I was here in 2020 and that happened. And so we have a video of what that looks like. Uh, The next video is that. This real peaceful resort town where the lake is like completely still, no longer so. And so those waves came up with shore and, and various places where it wasn't quite as fortified began to tear everything up and it did millions and millions of dollars of damage to the town and to the area. Um, and um, it is because of that valley of the wind and the storm coming just right 
and um, those are shops just right there. So, you, <laughs> you see that guy get swamped. Uh, gives you the dynamics of some of the stories in the Bible, and there are a couple uh, that depict that reality of of the storm. One is when uh, Peter walks on water, and one is when the disciples are asleep in the boat. So when we were there, it was much calmer. There was a slight breeze. The next picture shows that with just a little bit of riffles across the lake, and that is a, a boat similar to similar to the one that we. Yeah, very similar to the one we were in. And then we got in a boat uh, out on the Sea of Galilee. And this was in the middle of the day on October 7th. And uh, the next picture shows what that might look like from the, from the boat itself. A beautiful, beautiful, beautiful place. The next picture is of an, another view. And you see that city way up there on the hill. Uh, we think of the story that Jesus told when he, when he said, a city on a hill can't be hidden. And neither do you light a lamp and then put it under a basket, but you set it in the center of the room for the world to, uh, so that it casts light for everybody in the room. And so also you are the light of the world. Uh, again, this kind of places where those things happened. Uh, and then a final picture, which is back to that church that has the boat as an altar. One of the murals there is of... Um, one of the stories of a stormy Sea of Galilee. And you see, the, you see the mountains in the background, just as you saw in the pictures, but this is Jesus and Peter. And Peter had seen Jesus walking across the, the lake, and they were in the boat, and they were all you know, freaking out, and um, P Jesus was going to go on past, and Peter calls to him, and Jesus says, come out onto the lake with me, and he, and he does, and he's walking on those waves. And then what happens? He, he loses faith. And, and, and so there again, the, the, the matter of whether you believe in it or not matters. And, and so he begins to sink. But Jesus doesn't say, see, you're sunk now. You're done. No, Jesus extends his hand and draws him back up and, and says, why, why didn't you believe? And we all know the answer, don't we? I mean, in our own lived experience, when life goes from pretty calm to turbulent in just a matter of moments, it is a lot harder than it sounds to believe and to trust. The, the Bible says, blessed are the peacemakers. Uh, and um, one um, in the Beatitudes, as I mentioned earlier, one of the, the interpretations I heard of that long ago was that what that really means is, blessed are those who just find themselves caught in the middle. Or in that middle space, as, uh, as we talked about earlier in worship, where, yeah, we believe Jesus it, it can, can do anything, but what we see in front of us seems insurmountable. And so what do we insert in the middle space? And this is the Bible saying, blessed are the peacemakers, those who hold out for God's vision of peace. Not just the absence of conflict, but the possibility of wholeness in that space where it would be easy to insert freaking out. It would be easy to insert giving up, where it would be easy to insert some version of anxiety or fear. Blessed are those who find themselves caught in that space and yet hold out a vision for peace. And it makes us think about the other story of when the, the sea got rough there on the Sea of Galilee, which is when Jesus was in the boat with the disciples. Do you remember the story? He's in the bottom of the boat and he's 
He's asleep. And the storm comes up and he doesn't wake up. And the disciples enter that middle space with freaking out. And they're exasperated with Jesus and say, how can you be asleep? Don't you care that we will die? You're never that dramatic, I know. But the disciples were. So Jesus wakes up and he goes up on top of of the boat. And what happens? He speaks to the wind and the waves and he says, peace, be still. And it becomes calm. And that story ends, it's recorded in the the three synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. The story ends with the disciples saying, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey? It is not just about the miracle, but the person at the center of the miracle. Who is this that's in the boat with us? And we didn't even realize it. Who is this that even the wind and the waves would obey him? So I mentioned we were out on the boat. It was pretty calm, but there's a little bit of wind that, that day. And we got out on the boat and had a worship service. And we read that scripture. And it became a chance for us to begin to process the news that we were hearing in Israel and the dynamics there. And so when you were waking up to seeing pictures of smoking buildings, that view up the lake it was, was our view. And uh, something happened in that worship service. Um, uh, and uh, and after, actually, after the worship service, as we were sing, singing worship songs and so- songs that we would sing here, um, which they had prepared for us, um, they, they opened up the things to sell us a few things. And there was a shirt that said, um, I sailed on the Sea of Galilee, sort of like a touristy thing. And um, someone said, I needed the shirt that said I sobbed on the Sea of Galilee because it was a, it was a powerful moment. We read the scripture that ends with, who is this that even the wind and waves obey? And then prayed for conflict, for the, the conflict in the country that we were hearing about, then conflict in our own lives and families, and then conflict within ourselves, which is a story that we can all relate to. And in that moment, the tourist kind of aspects of our trip to Israel began to shift into the faith journey, walking where Jesus walked. It was not so hard to envision or feel even what those disciples probably felt at different times. And that the thing that was in question was whether we trusted or not. Remember Peter walking on the water and Jesus says, why did, you, why did you lose trust in me? And when uh, they're asleep in the boat, Jesus says, oh, oh ye little faith. It's about, it's about trust. But we understand the struggle to trust. And so we prayed. We prayed for conflict in the world, conflict in our own families, and, and conflict in our own hearts, in our own lives. And as we did, every bit of wind stopped. And it was eerie. It was, it was more than just a a meteorological moment, but we all felt God's presence in a, in a powerful way, and it was dead calm. And I, I processed that moment since then with, um, like, with different people and uh, my spiritual director because um, most of the stories that we tell and most of the questions we get about our trip are about the violence 
and were we scared and were you terrified? I did a news story with Spectrum News and I told them about how we um, had, we in fact had to go to a bomb shelter when we went back to Jerusalem and there was an air raid siren that went off and we went into a bomb shelter. You may not have known that, but we did. And um, so on the Spectrum News story, they found the air raid siren and put it into the story so you could feel the drama. But what we felt was God's peace. And that didn't mean that we stuck our head in the sands about the, the things that were happening. And they canceled our plane tickets and we're like, oh, yeah, we're stuck in this middle space. What do we do? But when we came home, the thing that is most noticeable is that everybody here was freaking out a lot more than we were. And it was partly because we were able to enter the story and into the realities of the story that still play out. And had the experience of the one of whom was said, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey? And as I processed that story, my spiritual director said, it seems like that could be a moment that you could keep going back to. To that remember that in the midst of a very tense situation, there's someone in the boat with you. And so I end there, maybe offering up that story for you. You know, a lot of churches, including our sanctuary, are built to look like boats. If you ever are in our sanctuary, it looks like an upside-down boat because it reminds us that Jesus is in it with us and to remind us of the one of whom even the wind and the waves obey, the one who said, peace be still. So I wanted to end today in prayer for that as we think about how to engage the story of Israel and Palestine, what I sense is there is a place for those who hold out for peace, who don't give up on it. In fact, when there's conflict in the world or in our lives, it's almost a call-up, blessed are the peacemakers. And one way to do that is to, to pray. And um, so I got a call on Thursday from a friend that we met in Bethlehem. His name is Fadi, and he, was, uh, he worked for the company that was our travel uh, organization, and he helped us a lot and um, got to know him. In fact, one of our group members fell during the, the trip, and while early on when we were in Bethlehem, came down a whole flight of stairs, and uh, we had to go to the hospital with him, and Fadi took us, helped us you know, at the hospital and interacted, and everything turned out fine, but you get to know people. And so Fadi called me just to, to um, ch check in on Thursday this week, and um, I asked him how things were. And he lives in Bethlehem. That's where he's from. And that's in the West Bank. He said, we can't go to Jerusalem just a few miles away. Uh, we're sort of stuck here. We're not letting our kids who are four and six watch the TV because it's just war, war, war all the time. You might think of 9-11 when we watched the plane over and over and over again. He said his dad's a pastor and they are taking the kids, it would have been Friday, uh, and do a children's ministry thing was so that the kids, their kids in Bethlehem and the kids in their church would have something else to do than to be around their parents and the news and being stuck there. Our group was able to leave, but there are people who live there. I thought it might be helpful for you all to know some of their names today and to hold out for peace and to pray peace be still over somebody specific. So I just felt very like in the moment when I talked to, to, to him, I said, can you just tell me your kids' names and your wife's name and our church will pray for you on Sunday. So that's what we're gonna do. You wanna write this down and you wanna pray for these folks. Um, his name is Fadi, F-A-D-I, and his wife's name is Amani, A-M-A-N-I, and their kids are Joanna and Andrew. That's a little bit easier to, to remember, uh, but uh, we're going to pray for them to give us a personal connection to a story that can feel very impersonal, 
And what I ask for you in this moment is just to have faith, to believe, because that's what we do. That's who we are for others and for ourselves and, and to trust. So let's pray together. God, we pray to the one who said, peace be still. The one who chose to walk among us and walk right into the realities that we all experience in our humanness, described by war or conflict or unease or anxiety or fear, that we are often stuck in this middle space where we believe and yet help our unbelief because we don't know a path forward. We confess, God, that we feel stuck and then we act out of that place. But we repent of that in these moments and ask instead that we might be people who, who have faith. And that doesn't mean we stick our head in the sand and it also doesn't mean that we have to have an answer. But in that middle space, what we insert is that we trust you even when we don't feel it. And that we're going to work to cultivate that faith because we think it matters. That this is the thing that we bring to every equation in our own lives and in our world. And today we pray for our friends in Bethlehem who represent 9 million people in the midst of conflict. And we say their names, Fadi, and we pray for Amani, and for Joanna, and for Andrew. And over their turbulent moment and the reality of their, their lives, we pray the words of Jesus, peace be still. And in these God, moments, God, we renew uh, our commitment to follow Jesus. We imagine him standing on the lakeshore calling us, come follow me. And so whatever that means for us and in the week ahead, uh, we offer ourselves back. We say yes. And let that faith and trust guide the next steps as we walk where Jesus walked. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.